as followers of Christ, we should uh, always be talking about him, bragging on him. Unfortunately, we live in a culture that is full of self-promotion, and many of you will remember that probably the best person when television uh, was, you know, the primary medium back in the 60s and 70s when it came to self-promotion was Muhammad Ali. I mean, after all these decades, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. I am the the greatest. I mean, he had it down. He, he promoted himself like no one before him with the, the media that uh, was dominant at that point in time. And uh, in fact, on one occasion, Muhammad Ali said, it's not bragging if you can back it up. Well, today, whether it's, uh, you know, Kanye West or any of the Kardashians or any of hundreds of other people we could mention, our culture is all about self-promotion. It's all about, look at me, bragging on me, getting attention, drawing attention to me. And in fact, you're not going to be very successful at many things in our culture unless you are into me, into self self-promoting and yet the bible says in the book of proverbs 27 verse 2 let another praise you and not your own mouth stranger and not your own lips this sermon series we're looking at people jesus bragged on not people who bragged on themselves but people that jesus looked at and said that person has it together that person understands something that person is doing something well and they're an example to us. Last Sunday, we looked at a woman who had great faith. Today, we're going to look at a man Jesus never met, but about whom Jesus said something really good. So I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 9, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. Chapter nine. And, and, and this brief story about this man, his name is not given. So I'm calling him the nameless man the unknown man, who was serving Jesus very effectively. So today, I want us to look at not only what he did, but what Jesus and the disciples said about him, their interaction regarding this unnamed man, and see what God can teach us about serving effectively, about great service as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to read together in Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 38. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read together, please? Mark chapter 9, verse 38. <clears throat> and John said to him, so John the disciple is speaking to Jesus. Teacher, we saw someone, we saw a man casting out demons in your name. And we tried to prevent him. We tried to stop him. Because he was not following us. He was not one of the twelve. Verse 39. But Jesus said, do not hinder him. For there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Leave him alone. For he who is not against us is for us. Verse 41. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, whoever gives you a cup of cold water because you're following me, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Thank you, and you can be seated. Now I want to take a moment and help you understand some things about this story and then lift from it some lessons about great service, 
great servants, as disciples of Christ. In verse 38, we're told that this was a man, and again, his name is not given, who was casting out demons. He was not just trying, he was actually doing it. He was succeeding. He was being effective at it, and he was doing it, John said, in your name. And, and, and by the way, John's speaking for all 12 of the disciples because he said, we tried to stop him. And so he said, this man, we saw him, and he was casting demons out in your name, Jesus, meaning he was doing it in the power of Christ. This was a man who was demonstrating genuine, authentic faith in Christ because you cannot do what he was doing without genuine, authentic faith in Christ. In the book of Acts, in chapter 19, Paul is being used as an instrument of God to perform many wonders. And there were some Jewish exorcists who would go from town to town uh, plying their trade, if you will. Con artists are not new to today when it comes to religion. You get the picture? And in the book of Acts chapter 19, I want to put these verses on the screen. The Bible says there were some of these Jewish exorcists who went from place to place and they attempted. They weren't succeeding, but they were trying. They attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits, those who were possessed by demons, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. They didn't know him, but they'd heard about him. So it was a custom that people would try to use the name or any, any word, any formula that would they think be magic and give them strength. And so they're using Jesus' name even though they don't know him. And specifically, there are seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who was doing this. Let's go to verse 15. And the Bible says, the evil spirit answered and said to them, now notice this. I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? You get that? I recognize Jesus, I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit, the demon-possessed man, leaped on them. The man leaped on him on, on, on those seven sons, and he subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So now back to the story of the unnamed man in Mark's gospel. He wasn't trying. He was succeeding. He wasn't a con artist. He was the real deal. He wasn't a religious person. He was a man who had genuine faith in Jesus Christ. But he wasn't one of the twelve. He wasn't part of their group. And so the disciples tried to stop him. And in verse 38, that's exactly what John says. He, he does not say, we stopped him. We succeeded. We tried to stop him. But he wouldn't have, any, he wouldn't have anything to do with that. He, he wasn't going to quit. He, he, he kept doing what he had been doing. See, there's another problem, though. It's quite possible. In fact, I think it's likely that the disciples were not only trying to stop him because he was not one of the twelve, but because they were jealous of him. See, just before this event, earlier in chapter 9, chapter 9 begins with Jesus going on the mountain of transfiguration, taking with him Peter, James, and John, leaving nine of the twelve at the bottom of the mountain. And when Jesus and those three come down from the mountain, at the bottom they find the nine disciples with a large crowd, and there's an argument going on. 
And Jesus goes over and says, what's going on? And a man speaks up and says, I brought my son to your disciples because he's possessed by a demon and the demon is hurting him. And I asked them to cast him out and they could not do it. And then Jesus, a verse that's often taken out of context in verse 19, is speaking to those disciples. When he says, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And then he cast the demon out of the young boy. And so here are the nine disciples. While Jesus is on the mountain of transfiguration talking with Moses and Elijah in the presence of Peter, James, and John, those nine disciples at the foot of the mountain have an opportunity to help somebody and their faith is so weak they cannot do it. And yet here's this man just a few verses later who's not part of their group doing what they had been unable to do, succeeding where they had earlier failed. I think it's easy to understand that envy or jealousy might have been part of the problem when they tried to stop the man. Now, in verse 39, Jesus says, don't hinder him, leave him Alone, because anyone doing miracles in my name is going to say good things about me. Don't bother him. And then in verse 40, Jesus said, He who is not against us is for us. He's on our side. He is for me. Do you get it? He's on my side. He's on our side. He's not working against us. He's on our team. And then in verse 41, Jesus says, If someone gives a cup of water to you to drink, and you have to understand they lived in a dry, hot, Middle East. And when you were traveling, preaching, doing things, a drink of water was a nice thing. Maybe a little thing, but a really nice, life-giving thing. And Jesus said, when someone gives you a cup of water, why? Because you have my name on you. You are following me because they know you are one of mine. That person is going to be approved of God. That person is going to receive rewards. And he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about other blessings. And then he continues, and we don't have time to delve into the rest of it in verse 42 he, he starts the conversation about if anybody hinders one of my children like y'all were trying to do with him be better off be better off that you tie a big old rock around your neck and be thrown into the sea than to hinder one of mine who's trying to serve me now i want to draw out some lessons from that simple story about this unnamed man that can help us understand what it means to be a servant, a great servant of Jesus Christ. And here's the first lesson. Great servants don't need great circumstances in order to serve. Now that may sound simple, but it is really, really important. Great servants of Jesus do not need great circumstances in order to serve. See, it's amazing how many times we say, I'm going to serve Jesus when i'll serve jesus if then maybe 
And all of these reasons and all of these excuses and all of these justifications, all of this talk, all of this stuff. But great servants serve Jesus simply because he's Jesus. Last Sunday I I said something, and it's not original to me. I got it from a preacher named Peter Lord 40 years ago. And he said, you don't serve Jesus. Successful believers, Christians, do not serve Jesus because of what he does. They serve him because of who he is. See, if if the only time you're going to serve Jesus is when things are being done the way you want them done, when God's doing what you want him to do, when circumstances are the way you want them to be, when it's all nice, easy, your way, whatever. Where's the greatness in that? Where's there anything extraordinary in that? Great servants do not need great circumstances to serve Jesus. Let me break that down a little bit more. They don't need recognition. They don't seek it. It's always nice for someone to say thank you and give us a pat on the back. But great servants don't seek recognition. This man was not one of the twelve. didn't matter to him. It mattered to them. Jesus knows who you are. Jesus knows what you're doing to serve him, even if nobody else knows you're doing it. Jesus honors it and recognizes it, even if no one else does. And great servants say, the approval of God is foremost in my life. And the disapproval of man will not keep me from serving Jesus. Hard circumstances will not keep me from serving Jesus. This man cared more about the needs of those he was helping than he did his status or position. Let me break it down a little further. Great servants don't wait for an invitation to serve Jesus. How many times over the years have I heard someone say, well, the reason I'm not going to Sunday school is nobody invited me to their class. How many times have I heard people over the years say, well, the reason I, I don't do anything at church is nobody's asked me to do anything. When your heart is burning with passion for Christ and a hunger to serve Him, you find ways to do something. You serve. You're not worried about who knows it. You're not worried about who asks you. You just step forward and serve him. Why? Because he's your king. He's your God. He's your savior. He's your Lord. He's your master. You serve. This man just jumped in. Had a relationship with Christ, genuine faith with Christ, and he jumped in and just started serving. Find a way. To do something for Jesus, whether anybody ever asks you to or not. Let me break it down even further. Great servants, when it comes to circumstances, don't depend on encouragement. Now, it's nice to be encouraged. Makes us feel good. But what about this man? Who was encouraging him? What did the disciples do? They discouraged him, right? Stop it. Don't do that anymore. They discouraged him. Nothing to encourage this man. Yet he was doing what they had been unable to do. 
And when they tried to discourage him, he said, no, I'm still serving Jesus whether you like it or not. So the first lesson is that great servants don't need great circumstances to serve. The second lesson is great servants go to war for Jesus. Great servants go to war for Jesus. Now, I know it's maybe out of, uh, out of uh, favor to use terminology when it comes to the Christian life like war and so on with our culture and world we live in, but I'm going to say it again. Great servants go to war for Jesus, but not the kind of war a lot of us think about. See, in in this passage, Jesus said to the disciples about this man in verse 40, he who is not against us is for us. Do you you understand what Jesus is saying? There's a cosmic battle. There's a cosmic conflict. There's a universal war between good and evil, between God and Satan, between heaven and hell. It's real. It's a battle that's been brewing since Satan first rebelled against God, and, 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 and it's going on today. And it's real. And, and, and that battle is destroying lives all around us. That, that war is destroying marriages and families. That that war is causing hell, as Isaiah the prophet said, to enlarge her mouth without measure. And Jesus said more are going through the entrance to suffering and death and destruction than through the door to life. More are going to hell than heaven. It's a real war. And folks, your family members, your loved ones, your neighbors, your friends, your classmates, your co-workers are caught up in that war. Jesus said there's only two sides in this battle. You're either for us or against us. You're either on his side or you're not. And the truth is, brothers and sisters, we need every soldier to fight. We need every believer, every follower of Jesus to to do their duty to answer the call to arms. And stop saying, well, the circumstances are such that I just can't, I won't, I'm going to wait. Seems like every now and then, Army Sergeant Bo Bergdahl's back in the news. You'll remember in 2009 when he deserted his unit, just walked away. Ultimately captured by the Taliban. And held for five years and then... Release when we exchanged five Taliban prisoners for him. Today, facing a court martial, seems like to keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. But he walked away. And can I be so bold as to say that sometimes we who are followers of Christ spiritually do the same thing? We walk, a, we walk away from the battlefield. We walk away from the front line. We walk away from the call of duty to serve Jesus. And we've got all the reasons. Bo Bergdahl gave his reasons, his disillusionment. And we do the same thing for why we're not going to step up and fight in this cosmic battle for the name and the cause of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you're either for us or against us. There's just two sides. There's no, there's no middle ground. And great servants know that. 
Third lesson, great servants help other servants. Great servants help other servants. Soldiers help other soldiers. Jesus said, if you give a cup cup of cold water to a thirsty worker because he's serving me, there's going to be blessing. There's going to be rewards. Do, Do you understand that when you do something to a servant of Jesus, you do it to Jesus? Follower, listen, followers of Christ are his emissaries. Followers of Christ are his representative. And the, the way Jesus looks at it is when someone does something to one of his emissaries, does something to one of his servants, they're doing it to him. And so great servants help other servants. And then the fourth lesson is this. Great servants don't have time for jealousy. Great servants don't have time for jealousy. Who's got what spot? Who has what title? Who was asked to do what? Who's got the biggest Sunday school class? Who gets to sing the most? I could go on and on and on. Great servants don't have time for jealousy. Because you don't have time for that in, 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 in this war. You see... Here's this guy, he's doing the job. The disciples had failed to do the job. And I think jealousy was behind the way they treated this man. We can't do it, you're sure not going to do it. Scott Bales is a Church of Christ, a Christian church pastor today up in the north. He grew up attending a small church of Christ near Chicago. When he was in high school, Bill Hybels Church, Willow Creek Community Church, had just blossomed into a mega church. And the little church he was a part of was very critical of Hybels and very critical of Willow Creek. And so when he was 16 years old, now this is, this is him telling the story himself, Okay. When he, now he's a high school kid. He's 16 years old. He decides he's going to do his own investigation of Hybels and Willow Creek, and so he goes to one of the Thursday night. They, they, they had a big worship service on Thursday night for the, for the congregation, so he, he decided he was going to go and check it out. And he sat there with a yellow legal pad and his ink pen. And everything he saw, he didn't like. Everything he heard, he didn't like. Everything he thought was un... He made this big, long list of all the errors. Everything he thought was evil about Bill Hybels and everything he thought was bad about that church. And after the service, he went down front and confronted Bill Hybels. When he got home that night, he typed his list up. He went to his little... Church of Christ, and he tacked it to the bulletin board of his church for everybody to see. Now, being older and wiser and more godly, when he tells the story of what he did as a 16-year-old teenager, he he said he was so full of self-righteousness. 
and realized that what was driving him was that Hybels and his church was not part of our little denomination, our club. He wasn't doing it like us, and so he had to be wrong. Sounds like the 12 when it comes to this man, doesn't it? Jesus said, be careful because those who are not against us are for us, so be careful. You might just find yourself, as the wise man in the book of Acts said to the Sanhedrin when they were wanting to punish the disciples for serving Jesus, be careful, or you might just find yourself working against the very plans of God. There's no place for jealousy if you're going to be a great servant. And then number five, this is the last lesson. God honors all service, big and small. I don't, I don't, that's not the best way to say it, but I don't know how else to say it. A cup of cold water. Now, if you've got a traveling missionary, you've got a traveling preacher in the Middle East Jesus sends the disciples out on a preaching mission. They stop in this little village. They're doing big work for Jesus. And somebody comes over and gives them a cup of water, a small thing. You get the picture, right? Well, guess what? God sees both. God honors both. Do you know what the disciples, I mentioned chapter 9 begins with 9 of the 12 unable to heal a man's son of a demon, of demon possession. But do you know what happens immediately before the story about this unnamed man? <clears throat> After Jesus cast the demon out of, that, out of that boy, they traveled through Galilee to the city of Capernaum, which was sort of Jesus' base for ministry during his time in Galilee. And uh, along the way, the disciples are talking to one another, and they don't want Jesus to hear them. When they get to Capernaum and go in the house, Jesus looks at them and says, Hey, guys, what were y'all talking about on the road? They don't say a word. They're quiet. They don't want to answer Jesus. You know why? Because what they have been talking about while they were walking to Capernaum, they'd been arguing with one another about which of them was the greatest, which of them was the best. And then Jesus says, if somebody gives a cup of water to you, God takes note. If you're hung up on what others are doing, you're hung up on the wrong thing. I'm preaching right now. And there's some people who are giving me cups of water. You know, I'll tell you who they are. They're the people that when the projection messes up, or the microphone messes up, y'all look that way. Now laugh because you do. You know you do. Don't don't pretend you're not. You look you you look right up there to see who who's on that board today, right? Your head it's just in, it's just instinctive. Something messes up and your head goes you. Right? It's human nature. 
Over the years, I've, I've prayed because I can be impatient. I've prayed God make me a little bit more patient with that kind of stuff. And I think I've gotten a little bit more patient with that, a little bit kinder about that stuff. But that's just our nature to look that way, right? Big stuff, little stuff. But guess what? You can't do the big stuff without the little stuff. So I want you all to look up there right now. Go ahead. You have my permission to look at them. Look at them. And I want you to give them a hand. <laughs> and the next time something messes up, don't go out in the lobby when you see them say, what happened? What would you do? Because how many of you have ever carried a cup of water and spilled it? Huh? So every now and then something's going to get spilled. But most of the time it doesn't. So just help them mop up the floor and don't complain. Now am I preaching? Okay. You know what the Bible says? 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. Paul says, let a man regard us, he and his traveling missionaries, in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. And the reason I put the word servants in yellow, there are several words in the Greek New Testament translated servant. This particular word is a combination of two words, one meaning under and the other to row, an under rower. It was the word that was used for a slave chained to an oar on a Roman ship in the Mediterranean Sea. Those ships had three levels, slaves on three levels with oars going out the sides, three levels. The slaves on the very bottom level next to the water where it was the most dangerous, the hottest, and the hardest were that word. Paul says, you want to know what a disciple is? Do you, do, you, do you want to know what it means to serve Jesus? You're a third-level galley slave in the army of Christ. Now, the good news is he loves us and he cares for us. But the other side of it is that he doesn't like it when we get all puffed up and think more of ourselves than we ought. And he says what's required of us is what? To be trustworthy, or some Bibles translate it, faithful. Can, can God count on you to stay in the battle? To, to not abandon the unit? Can, can God count on you to, to, to serve, and even when it's not perfect, when circumstances aren't the way you wish they were, can God still count on you? Then one last verse, Romans 12, verses 4 through 6. He says, just as we have many members in one body, a lot of different people in this body called First Baptist Church, and we're all different. And we don't have the same function. We don't all have the same skills, same gifts, same talents, same abilities, same passions. So we're many, but we're one body in Christ and individually connected, members of one another. And since we have gifts that different, I don't have gifts that some of you have, you don't have some of the gifts that I have, what do we do? Those differing gifts are, are God's grace gifts. God, God chooses what talent he gives people. Exercise them. 
whatever your skills, whatever your talents, whatever your abilities, do something with it. Put it to work. Exercise it. Exercise it. You, 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 you don't worry about doing what I do. You don't, you don't worry about doing what someone else does. You, you worry about doing what you're supposed to do. You, you worry about doing what you're gifted to do. You, you worry about doing what you're skilled to do to serve Jesus. Whether it's being a traveling missionary or handing somebody a cup of water or anything in between. Just, here's, here's the practical way to say that. Just do your part. Do your part. See, I think when we get to heaven, you know, Jesus said something about the first being last and the last being first, didn't he? I think when we get to heaven, some of the people who have been the greatest servants are going to be people that no one on earth has ever written a book about. They've never been on television. They, they may not even have a blog or an Instagram account. <laughs> but the only way to be great in the eyes of God is to be faithful with what God's given you to be and do. No matter. No matter. No matter the circumstances. That's a great servant. And maybe unnamed on earth, but definitely known in glory. Let's stand.